three, two, one. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Once again, I, I want to thank our listeners for sharing our episodes. We've been looking at the downloads from the last week, and we are overjoyed at how many people have downloaded and shared it with their friends and family and relatives. You can find us on the web at onlythepenitent.com, and you can email us at otpsp at protonmail.com. Today's episode, Apism is True. Really? Now join John and I for the discussion. All right. <laughs> All right, John. Today's episode, the evolution of evolution. Evolution's a fact, you know. <laughs> we are stealing the title, although we can't. Is it really theft if I came up with the the name? No, you own you own that. Technically, <laughs> we're we're stealing the title from uh, my little pamphlet. I, I wrote a pamphlet years ago called "The Evolution of Evolution." It's just a opening primer and introduction for people who've never really looked at the historical narrative of evolution. For most people, John, they think Darwinian evolution is science. And when you and I talk about the subject, especially when I talk about it publicly, I've, I literally discussed evolution uh, from the dais at a college conference before. Uh, so I've spoken at this at a very large public platform, and when we discuss it, we use the word narrative. We don't use the word science. Yeah, um, or the word myth. Mythology. Yeah, and I mean that in the most positive sense, where there's a lot of different competing mythologies of what the world really is, and Darwinism is one of them. So by saying myth, I don't mean that it's false. I mean that it's not quite a science. There's a, it, Darwinism is sort of a little bit of science within a large religious mythology. I think that's the most... I think I can state that boldly. Now, now the popular myth of Darwinian evolution, of the science, the popular myth would go something like this. That ancient men were savages. That they were barbarians. They were the descendants of ape-like creatures. They, these ape-like creatures eventually evolved into humans. Now these humans oppressed women. They raped, they pillaged, they waged war, and they worshipped a bunch of silly gods fashioned from their imaginations. Their religion caused, the various religions of man caused many wars, but then finally something happened. The Great Enlightenment occurred. The 17th and 18th and 19th centuries evolved into each other, and modern science is birthed, which finally gave men the ability to use their minds to the full extent. And Charles Darwin, discovering the origin of species helped free the modern man from the bonds of religious slavery, and now we know that we're descended from ape-like creatures, and we don't have to go to war anymore, and we don't have to act like side savages, because science has freed us. Oh, 
and just to top it off, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this great moment where we'll evolve again and we'll go beyond man, right? We'll be the, the ubermensch, the, the overman, and we'll be more powerful and more happy and, and so on and so forth, right? I think that's how, that's the uh, eschatology, right? So that'd be a Christian word, right? Of, of Darwinism, really all modern philosophy. So in my in in our studies, the the first thing you learn if you seriously study Darwinian evolution is that Darwin nor his father, Erasmus Darwin, nor the people of the eighteenth or nineteenth century, they're not the originators of evolution. They didn't discover evolution through laboratory science. That would be a myth. That's the myth of modern science. That ancient peoples thought in ancient ways, and modern people thought in modern scientific ways. The truth, let's get away from the myth. The truth is that before Christ, somewhere around 300 B.C., in ancient Greece, a man named Epicurus, building upon other Greek philosophers, developed his own philosophy of life, and amongst his beliefs, we're not going to focus on Epicureanism, it was a distinct Greek philosophy, but one of the key features of Epicurean philosophy was that all life evolved from something else. That everything in the world is a derivative of something else. Epicurus believed the universe was eternal, and so he figured that all things must have evolved. All humans, animals, biological life, that everything evolved from something else. The true story, the truth of evolution is that it wasn't discovered through modern science. It was simply an ancient philosophy conceived in the minds of pagan men. Now, that's hard for many modern people to accept. Yeah, well, what, what did Darwin discover? So we have his... Uh, what kind of birds were those? The finches. The finches, yes, okay. So Darwin, he goes down to the Galapagos Islands... And he's on one side of the island, and he's like, these finches have really long beaks. He goes to the other side, he's like, wait a second, these finches have really short beaks. Well, it must be that on this side of the island, if you have long beaks, you're more likely to get food. But on this side of the island, if you have short beaks, you're more likely to, be, to have food. And so he comes up with this principle of natural selection. And it's like, okay, that's, that's kind of an interesting scientific observation. You know, and he's just so he's just looking at nature, and he's you know he he creates this principle, and so I don't think that's quite what our problem is with, right? But from there, from this little principle of natural selection, he extrapolates an entire view of life from the dawn of life on the planet Earth. Well, at that point, you're not dealing with science you're dealing with the cosmology. And if you think that it happened in that order, you're being sort of disingenuous. Because what Kenny's saying is, people 
Darwin, right? So Darwin's grandfather was also an evolutionist. Well, how is that possible if Darwin himself created the idea? Well, he did it. He already had this idea that all life must have evolved. And then he would use these minor observation and these minor principles to say, well, there we go. It's been proven. Well, and so, but if you look at it like that, it's like, well, wait, all you did was found a little bit of evidence for this really grand theory that doesn't prove that theory whatsoever. So all you proved is that, oh yeah, well, sure, if there's, if you're more likely to survive, then you're more likely to breed, and so your offspring are going to be a little bit more like you. Okay. Like, yeah, okay, that sounds reasonable, Darwin. And it's like, yes, so therefore it follows that all life on Earth must have been derived from one, maybe two or three original species. It's like, wait, how did you get to that conclusion? It's like, well, it must have been that you already believed such a thing, right? So when we reason through this, right, now here we're not being, quote, fundamentalists, we're trying to reason through this and say, well, this doesn't quite make sense. It sounds like you have a cosmological, I could say religious narrative, and so do we. And so then we can ask the question, well, which one of these is true? And obviously, if you're a Christian, you know which one is true. So evolutionists are like I prefer to use the term apist because they <laughs> they yeah. believe that humans evolved from some kind of ape evolutionists generally when you encounter them in in college and when you there's 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 Christians who masquerade as apists I've, I've met them in churches and they they believe that you can merge the ideas of apism with Christianity which is I, I think is fundamentally um, absurd to say the least i mean it, it it makes a really ugly picture yeah that's the one thing i like the 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 view of creation god offers us is so beautiful that's my first thing is an aesthetic critique it's like well that looks really ugly when you try to put i can even see the beauty in the sort of like carl sagan version where it's like oh you're telling a story like like the Greek poet Hesiod, like, here's what creation is, look at it. It's like, oh, there's a certain sense of beauty, it's not true, but I see that. But when you try to merge the two, it looks really ugly. The, the truth, as, as you de delve deeper into the historical narrative of how apism became popular in the 19th century, one of the first things you'll learn is you, as you pull back the dross and... and, and and, and look at the true history, is that apism developed before Darwin. First off, we have Erasmus Darwin, his grandfather, that Charles borrowed a lot of his apist ideas from. He was a poet. He was a poet. He also believed he was something of a naturalist, like his, his grandson but Charles. But he still understood it in terms of being a natural philosopher. So before Erasmus Darwin, you have Frenchmen like uh, Lamarck, who he was very popular. You have Ernst Haeckel, you have Arthur Keith. The, the list of pre-Darwinian apists th throughout France and Germany and England, there's just hundreds, if not thousands of writers that were all writing about apism and none of them were writing it as though it was some kind of science that they discovered in a laboratory by looking at bones. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's the key thing. Yeah, what did Darwin say? He said once you once a full examination of the fossil record is finished, which if it's not full enough now, I don't know when it ever will be. You'll see that my theory is true. Well, did, how did that pan out? So, so John Baptiste Lamarck, he was one of the influential people in teaching apism before Darwin. And he believed he only knew the facts, and he believed he only studied the facts. I read, I read his one book, and he uses the word facts, truths, proofs, beliefs, interchangeably he uses those words. And he uses them over and over in his book, attempting to convince the reader that he has found the truth of apism. In, in fact, at one point he writes in his book about his own method of, of studying. Lamarck writes, It is by this method alone, he's talking about his method, it's by this method alone that human intelligence can gain knowledge. <laughs> in any science that is as, at once vast, solid, and coherent, it is solely by this kind of analysis... Lamarck's, he's talking about his own, that science makes real progress. And so that we can understand the truth being perfectly known. He, he believes that his way of looking at the world is the only way at looking at the world. I mean, how arrogant was John Baptiste Lamarck? These people who almost all of them hated anybody that wasn't white. I mean, these were the true white supremacists. Yes. It was never Christians. It was these atheist and agnostic naturalists. They despised the black race. Darwin himself and the origin of species, it just comes off the pages. He despised black people. Well, he has the other book, what, The Descent of Man, where he, you know, he's trying to lay out a case... And part of his conclusion, if I remember correctly, is that, well, obviously the Germanic peoples are the best. Well, wait, what does that sound like, Kenny? <laughs> Say the Germanic, right? By Germanic, I also mean the British, right? Because they're derived from sure. the Germanic. Um, that sounds... Sounds like someone that rhymes with Schmittler. Schmittler. <laughs> well, yeah, we would say the leftists would call that problematic, right? <laughs> so we have, so the theory of openly avowed racist is being taught at every university and now I'm wondering well why aren't why aren't the biologists being run out of the university like anyone else who well because it's part of the religion of the leftists they would have no I they wouldn't even have a clue how they got to where they are if it wasn't for this fallacious theory of evolution and, and so I want I want to key in on on John, John Baptiste Lamarck's uh, remark uh, that he believes it's by his method alone that human intelligence can gain knowledge. That's an exact quote verbatim from Lamarck's uh, book. Uh, they were so arrogant, these agnostic, these atheists, these, these whatever you want to call them, naturalists, they believe that only if someone thinks the way they think if someone begins with the epistemologies that they begin with, that's the only way to gain knowledge. How utterly silly that is. Well, how many, how many arguments in coffee houses have you and I had with 
with atheists, with Buddhists, with evolutionists, with everybody. And as Christians, we, we know we disagree with a lot of their presuppositions, but we sit down and we talk to them as if it, what they're saying could be true so we can have a fruitful dialogue. And so when you start to think in this, this, this ter- these terms, well, the science says, right? Isn't this what everyone says? Like, we've, we're pretty much past that. It's kind of hard to find anybody who wants to argue science like it was in the 90s and the early 2000s where people wanted to argue with the things Kenny are saying. Now they say, oh, no, John, oh, no, Kenny, the science says. And so now it's, it's slowly becoming what it was at the beginning, which is this mystical principle. Well, what is this science? And I don't know what they think it is, the sum total of what scientists say, and it just sort of congeals in their mind into one good, you know, Carl Sagan sort of narrative. I I really don't know anymore. The fascinating thing about apism is that modern apists, people who teach apist philosophy at, at Yale and Stanford, modern apists reject nearly everything that men such as Charles Darwin and John Baptiste Lamarck, the early apists, the modern apists reject almost everything they taught. Well, yeah, because what Darwin, he said, oh, you'll be able to prove what I'm saying is true because you're going to find these things called transitional fossils. So his opponent said, okay, I'm going to go look for these transitional fossils. And well, and so did the Darwinists. And what did they find? They don't really exist. So what's a transitional fossil? Basically, you'll find some sort of fish bird. You'll find some intermediate species in between a bird that's becoming a fish. So then the, so then the Darwinists, instead of saying, ah, maybe my theory's wrong, they say, no, no, it's just the earth was a lot older and things took a lot longer to evolve. So the, the steps in evolution are so small that you there are no transitional fossils. Oh, okay. Okay, so we can go through the fossil record and we'll see it just how you're saying. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, then they're old. What's what's his name? Stephen Gould, right? Yeah, sure. He's like, oh, no, it actually doesn't work that way. So they're actually, there's no transitional fossils, but there's these huge leaps in evolution, right? So maybe a fish just gives birth to a bird or vice versa. And so it's like, well, wait, if all your conclusions are, if the evidence always shows that they're wrong, why do you keep changing the theory? Why don't you just say, oh, geez, the science shows that this theory is false. Because whenever the science is seriously practiced, it's shown to be false, right? Um, But no, because it's, like Kenny is saying, it's a myth, it's a narrative, it's a religious story. So one of the things that they're not going to teach you at Stanford or Caltech, wherever you go to school, They're not going to teach you that in the 18th and 19th centuries, even though all these apists taught apism, none of these apists actually believed any legitimate evidence existed. Darwin himself said, oh, the evidence will come later. They all believed in their apism as a matter of their faith. It wasn't because they had looked under microscopes in their laboratories and saw the evidence of apism. They didn't. Now, let's give one example. We've all heard of Neanderthal skull. It was discovered in 1848 by Captain Edmund Flint of the Royal Navy. 
Now it was known by Darwin. It was it was it was well known, and it was well known by other leading apists of the 19th centuries. But here's the key point: none of them believed Neanderthal skull was an ape-like ancestor of humans. <laughs> none of them even believed it. It wasn't until 75 years later, it's not until you get to the 20th century, that a couple other skulls similar to Neanderthal are found. And now the, Neand the, the apists of the 20th century, the 20th, after Darwin's dead, they go backwards, they go grab Neanderthal skull back from 1848, and they say, aha, look, here's the proof of apism. We have proof that humans, well, well, no one believe none of the apists for 75 years believed Neanderthal skull was anything. Well, and then none of them do now. Like, they didn't teach me that about Neanderthal in school, but there was a period when they were doing this because you're, what, grasping at straws, right? Where you just admit, like, oh, this actually isn't where humans came from. If you, if you want to believe that... Because you think you have some secret knowledge, well, like, go ahead, I'm not going to, going to stop you. But the, quote, science, it always vindicates the people who have been anti-Darwin from day one. So, one of the landmark years in the history of apism was 1912. Now, prior to 1912, all the apists believed in apism, but they had no evidence. They had no evidence of any transitional fossils of, of proof that humans came from apes or ape-like creatures. In 1912, a self-proclaimed scientist, Charles Dawson, and then Arthur Smith Woodward, who was the head of geology at the Natural History Museum in Great, Great Britain, they discovered what would be a landmark find. And they said that their find proved once and for all that apism is true. Now, what did they find? They found what was called Piltdown Man. And, and Piltdown Man was, was found in a construction site. And it was nothing more than the jaw and teeth, just bone fragments. They literally found bone fragments. And this jaw and, and some teeth, they said were clearly that of a half-man, half-ape-like creature. They published their results. The, the anti-Christian newspaper world went wild. Aha! We finally have proof that apism is real and Genesis in, in, in the Bible is wrong. And everybody around the world rejoiced. Modern science was fi had finally arrived. Piltdown man proved apism to be true. Now what happened? As Paul Harvey would say, let's listen to the rest of the story. 41 years later, after the discovery of Piltdown Man, which the apists used to prove apism, in 1953, it was discovered that Piltdown Man was nothing more than a fraud. The bone fragments were nothing more than that of a modern human and a modern orangutan. Now here's the clincher. That had been purposely altered to be, appear to be from the same creature. 
the apists had faked the evidence. They faked it because they had no proof of apism. They needed one discovery to cement Darwin's theory. They needed one discovery to cement the ravings of John Baptiste Lamarck and his psychotic obsession with thinking only the way he thought. They used Piltdown Man to spread their hoax, and finally the hoax stuck. And here we are. Yeah, now they teach you it in kindergarten. So that's, on a previous episode, we were talking about public school education. Well, basically on day, day one, they start teaching you this narrative. And so if you're wondering, like, well, why wouldn't I send my kid to a public school? It's like, well, this is one of the good reasons, because this is a alternate cosmological view of everything. And if you... And if you're not sure, like, what we mean by that, I mean, you could watch, like, I keep mentioning Carl Sagan's Cosmos, or what, um, who's, what's his name, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, is sure, that his name? Sure, yeah. Yeah, he redid the show for Fox a couple years ago with all the fancy new CG computer models, and he basically tells you a religious myth. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I think, you know, I agree with C.S. Lewis, there's a lot of, there's beauty to it. You know, and I think what makes it beautiful is that it's it's not true that man imagined it like a poet did, right? Just like I think Homer's Iliad is very beautiful, one of the most beautiful things ever written. Do I think it's true? No. Uh, so, like, that's sort of where we are. And we as Christians, we should try to realize that this is the case. And to some extent, I think most Christians believe in evolution at least a little bit, right? To, absolutely, to consider how important Piltdown Man was to proselytizing the hoax of apism. Most of our listeners will have heard of the famous Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. It, the trial took place 13 years after the Piltdown Man hoax began. During the Scopes Monkey Trial, the apist defenders, the professors, they used Piltdown Man as their proof in the Scopes Monkey Trial. They used fraudulent, faked bones, but that was left out of the history books. Instead, what do the history books show? They show the Scopes Monkey Trial as being the landmark trial where the public finally got to see the truth of, of apism and, and, and Christianity was exposed as fraudulent. Well, what's the true story? The evidence they used was hoaxed, faked, forged evidence. And all these years later, apism is still taught, but they just drop off all the lies they used to create their myth. And here we are. And, and so we sit here saying... Why are Christians still enamored with the science of these lunatics? Because that's what they are. They're lunatics. Apist professors should probably be sent to the loony bin. <laughs> right? I don't know if I'd go that far, but... You know what? I, I would settle like um, if they would hire some Christian teachers at the public schools. 
Um, I would settle that as a compromise rather than sending them to the Looney Bins. But well, but to, but but I, I they don't even know. Most of them don't even know the story you just told. I think. Well, most where we're at. The, the the people who teach apism in the schools they don't know anything we're, we've discussed in this podcast. <laughs> they only know what the current textbooks say. It's similar to the it's similar to the dystopian book by Orwell, nineteen eighty four where the protagonist, his job is to tear out pages in textbooks and rewrite them and to constantly change history. Well, that's what apists do. They change history. They don't want anyone to know history. That's the interesting thing about Christianity is while Christianity isn't just pure history, the Bible contains history. Um, the Bible isn't pure poetry, but it contains poetry, right? It, it contains all of these elements. And because of the way the Bible's written, Christians have always been at the center of preserving true narratives rather than false narratives. Whereas the pagans and the apists, they have no interest in looking at true history because it exposes that their religion for what it is, fraudulent. Yeah, because we could... We could argue all day about certain interpretations of Genesis, right? There's a lot, well, a lot of faithful theologians has, have approached the text in many different ways. But what we don't want to do is allow a counter, you know, a counter cosmology to enter in. So we don't, I, I mean, it says when, when Adam and Eve sinned, death enter into the world, Right, so they sin, and then you get death. Humans already existed, thinking, speaking, walking, talking human beings existed when death entered the world. They're actually the cause of it. So when you have a theory like Darwinism, which relies on millions of generation of death and decay and birth. And then from that chaos of death, right, and then maybe this is key, and this is where you see you, you don't get order from chaos. And I think that's what the Darwinists want us to believe, and I think that's what the world and all the enemies of God want us to believe. This is, you know, I think I mentioned him earlier in the episode, Hesiod, in his, in his cosmogony, he says that first comes chaos. And then Eros, right? Does this sound a lot like the modern view of science? Well, yeah, you get this big bang, but then there's gravity, right? And so not to, you know, argue against the principle of gravity, which we observe, but, I mean, this is their view. It's like, yes, first you have a bunch of chaotic happenings, and then you have, and then you have this force of attraction coming, and, it, and it, it binds it all together, and then through this, you know, and it creates more chaotic processes, and so on, and they just one one thing builds on another until you get the order of the cosmos. That's not what Christians believe. So if if that's what you believe, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I'm saying something antithetical to Christianity has crept into your mind somehow, and you should reconsider it, maybe. Unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the episode. This this episode seems like it flew by here. That's a fun one. <laughs> As always, you can find us on the web at onlythepenitent.com and you can email us at otpsp at protonmail.com. Thanks again for listening to us. Until next time, may God bless you.